But what this is about today is our maturity in the faith, all right? And uh, for uh, the past few weeks, we've been talking about Ephesians chapter 4. So I want to ask you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 4 today. And we're going to look at a a, a part of what we looked at. This is like part 2 from last week. Now I know you may not have caught last week. And I don't think it's online. So uh, I'm just not going to preach that again. But uh, for the last several weeks. For these last couple of weeks. We have looked at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And in the first part that we talked about. It being a family thing. About that once you're saved and you become in the family of God that things begin to change inside and out and that God enables us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received from him. And uh, we talked about as a result of that being in his family and the unity of the family. Remember we talked about how that we're all different. He made us different. We have different backgrounds. We have different point of views. We have different this and that. But yet the Holy Spirit brings us together as one. We're talked about one family in the Bible. He uses the illustration of how we're like one body. That's something that's kind of unique that Paul begins to bring out. He calls the church, that is those who are called out who are in in God's family, he calls them the body of Christ. It's like Christ is the head and we're the body. That means we're all connected to him, we're all connected to each other, and we all have a specific function, right? Remember that? And the only way this can happen, as sinful as we have been and as weak as we have been, Um, as selfish as we can be, is the Holy Spirit. That is God's presence living in us. Remember, we talked about the unity, or Paul talked about the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Remember that? And it's the Holy Spirit that brings this unity. We talked about the Holy Spirit being the emulsifier, right? Remember that? Uh, To be able to bring us together into one. Now, I want to read this passage again. Uh, We we ended last week. We kind of covered part of it. But about how that Jesus, to make this possible, he died on the cross. Grace was given. That's he died on the cross for our sins and rose again to give us new life. And, And this is a gift from God. But then Paul pulls out an Old Testament illustration that we looked at last week about how that when David marched in victorious, carrying the Ark of the Covenant into uh, Jerusalem and up Mount Zion. Um, So this is a beautiful scene where it talked about something that would happen when a king went and conquered. And he says, this is what Christ has done for us of how that he came down. He who is higher than the highest, he is king of kings, Lord of lords, that he descended. He came down. He humbled himself. He lowered himself to come down and he won the victory for us. We were like in bondage. It's like the enemy had us in bondage, in prison. Uh, and that Jesus came to set us free. And as he won the victory over sin, he won the victory over death, he won the victory over the grave. As he's marching victorious, he's leading those who were captives, he recaptured them and brings us out to set us free. Many times a king would go into battle and the people from their own country that had been taken captive, he would get like take them captive again and bring them back and set them free. And so, and many times, and on the day that David did this that he's referring to, he also gave gifts. He gave gifts to everyone before they went home. He uses as an illustration of what Jesus has done, how that he set us free and he's brought us, we were captive. Now we belong to him and that he is giving gifts to all. So we have the gift of him, the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
But then more than that, there are spiritual gifts that he gives us to enable us to not just live the Christian life, but to be part of this body that we can walk in a worthy manner of the calling that we receive. You got all that? Can I take a breath now? Let's read it. Because we ended up with some of the ministry gifts in verse 11 where he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. Your translation may, I'm reading for the ESV, that's very literal translation. Many translations say pastor. Pastor is an English word that is a synonym. Did you know that pastor actually means shepherd? Exactly. Pastor means shepherd. So when someone is a pastor, he's a shepherd. Um, And it says pastor and teachers. Um, Now, in the original Greek... There's an article before the first one. That it's like those two many scholars believe are linked. That is the pastor teacher. Uh, but there are some who are good shepherds who aren't that great of teachers. And I know some that are really good teachers. But you know, they're not, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but they can be linked. But I don't think they necessarily are. Um, but if you are a pastor, you are to be teaching. So look, verse 12. To equip the saints. Here's the purpose. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body, the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's another mouthful right there. So right here is, in its most concise form, God's plan by which Christ produces growth in our lives, and in the church. Did not Jesus say to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church, right? So here's the thing. It's not up really to us to build his church. And by the way, the word church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia, and it literally means the called out. Nowhere in the Bible does church refer to just like a building. It's a people. It always refers to people. The ones that he has called out, the ones who have answered his call, the ones who have done like Jordan and Carter did today, that you have answered that call, you have received Christ, you have put your faith in him, and you've, you've answered that call. You're part of the called out now. You're part of his church. You're part of his family. You're part of the body of Christ. Um, as he's called us out, he says, I will build my church, Jesus said. So he's going to use us, but it's his. Amen? Somebody say, um, how's things at your church? I'm like, so you're talking about the local? See, we got church. We got like the the church, the body of Christ, everybody who's been saved from all time or will be, no matter who they are, where they are. We're all part of one big thing. But everyone in the New Testament who received Christ and were saved from their sins, they trusted Christ, 
they connected themselves to a local gathering of believers, a local church, okay? So when someone says, how's your church? Well, first of all, it's not mine, right? And, and uh, uh, it all belongs to Jesus. None of us, I'm just, I'm just a servant. I'm just, uh, he's the chief shepherd. I'm just, I'm just serving him, and I serve him by serving you. That's what it is. So we've really got not just the job description of the pastor, but we've got, we've got the whole thing for all of us, and it's all about maturity. It's all about time to grow up, right? Uh, so I'm afraid that too many Christians have what I call, when it comes to their spiritual life, I mean, we might be serious about work life, we might be serious about other things, but when it comes to our spiritual life, too often we've got what I call a Peter Pan theology. You know, Peter Pan, Peter Pan is a little... You know, strange and a green suit jumping around. But you know what Peter Pan used to always say? What he's saying, at least in the movie version? I don't want to grow up. I'll never grow up, right? So I mean, there's a bunch of people who are in their spiritual life. They're just dancing around. I'll never grow up. I'll never grow up. But Paul say, it's time to grow up. Would you just grow up already? Okay, so this is the thing that he wants to happen and how it happens. How does this happen? It's what he tells us right here in this passage. So it is, as we see already, God's plan that he not only gifts you himself, but he, and, and even his presence in you, right? We talked about that last week. His presence in you, the spirit of truth, the spirit of life, the spirit of Christ, also called the Holy Spirit. It's not a force. It's not an it. It's he. It is God the Spirit. It is God himself. Third person of the Trinity living inside you. So we're talking about you have access to the power who spoke the universe into existence inside of you. That's something to get excited about. Probably more so than what we do. Amen. So what's my excuse then for being so puny? Huh? Well, the problem is, is I'm trying to walk in my own strength and I'm, I'm still dealing with the flesh. Even though I'm a new creature, I still live in this old body of flesh that has been cursed by sin. Now, I'm going to be delivered from it one day. We celebrated Brother Bob Duggar's life this week. And uh, we had the memorial service yesterday. Uh, and, uh, and Bob served his community and his church for many years. But, you know, we, we grieve because we're going to miss someone. But it's really the, that, that's the day, you know, that's the day where, you know, that's what I'm shooting for right there. Amen. I'm looking for that day that I'm going to be delivered from this body of flesh that's been cursed by sin and this world that has been cursed by sin. It's going to be like the best day ever. You know? On this side, maybe somebody will be saying, he's gone, he's gone. But over there, they're going to be saying, he's here, he's here. Amen? That's, that's what I know. That's what I believe. That's what I'm staking my soul, my life on. Uh, and so he, he has gifted us himself. He's gifted us his presence. But with that, he wants to give you and me the abilities. Now, <laughs> he told Timothy to stir up the gift of God. That means that there may be abilities naturally you have, and then are, there are things that the Holy Spirit is going to develop. Did you hear that word? In your life. Somehow or another, we think that he's just going to zap me with all this. But a lot of it, he wants to develop as you and I are in the word, we're in fellowship with others, and we're growing, we're praying, and a lot of what he does, he does through one another. That's, that's how we grow, and that's what 
he's going to explain, or he, he has explained right here in this. Now, um, especially to help equip us and grow us are these gifts that he listed, especially the pastors or shepherds and teachers to equip, build up, and grow his body, the church. Now, I say this because um, there, were, there are still many apostles. That word means to be sent out. There are obviously people being sent out, right? Uh, yesterday here, yesterday morning, we had several of our missionaries that us, along with our sister churches, have helped send out. There are some that have we sent out to Spain, some to Bulgaria, uh, some were sending to Ecuador. Well, all right here yesterday, and we were hearing from them, and we were supporting them. Our church gave. I just want you to know that as you worship here, and as you give here, you're supporting God's work all around the world. Because that's what we do. That's what we're about. I don't know if you know this or not, but our association of churches, which includes several churches around this area that we work together, we're all independent churches, but we band together uh, to encourage and to help one another, um, that together we uh, gave around $19,000 to these missionaries uh, yesterday. Yeah, amen, amen. It's all part of God's kingdom work. You gave $5,000 yesterday. Did you know that? If you worship and you give here, you gave part of that. That's what I'm saying. And uh, that's just awesome to be able to be a part of what God's doing. So we're still sending people out. But the apostles of the Lamb that Jesus sent out, there are 12. And there are only 12. And they had special authority that I or nobody else has today because the word of God was not completed. And it was everything was to be traced back to Jesus. Everything that was taught in the early church before the New Testament was completed had to be traced to the ones he personally sent out and to him himself, to Jesus. In Revelation, it talks about the holy city, New Jerusalem, and the 12 foundations. And on them are the names of the, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So those that Jesus, the resurrected Christ, personally sent out, there were 12. And it was through them, or those that studied under them, under their tutelage, that God used to write the New Testament. Now, if we want to know if we're doing and teaching the right thing, you just open this book, right? And then there were prophets. And the word prophet literally means to speak forth the word of God. Speak forth the word of God. Well, anything that was being spoken forth had to be traced back to, is this what the ones Jesus himself sent out teaching? And is this what Jesus told them to say? Because there were already people up there having some type of revelation from God and saying stuff that wasn't square. So that's why you even read in Corinthians how that the prophets were to speak one by one and then they were to judge. What were they to judge? They were to judge, is this what the apostles taught us? So everything that was taught in the early church had to be traced to the apostles who were sent out by Jesus himself so it all traced to Christ. We weren't free to just make up our own stuff. We're not free to do that today either. Everything that we teach and everything that we say has to be coming from this. And the last book of the Bible, he says not to add to it or take from it. We're not to add anything to it or take any way from, anything away from it. So God is not revealing. If you hear of somebody that God is revealing some new truth that hasn't been previously revealed, then they're trying to add to the word of God. So uh, besides that, if you look over in chapter 20, or chapter 20, verse 20 of chapter 2, chapter Two of Ephesians, verse 20, it talks about the, being a household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 
the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So there were especially, especially those who were apostles sent out by Jesus himself and those early ones who were, who were gifted to speak forth the word of God. They were foundational. You don't keep laying foundation on top of foundation. They were the foundations and we're being built upon their foundation. And that foundation of those people, God used to write the New Testament. Now, have you got that? And that's important for you to know because people who don't know that can get caught up in the teaching today that is claimed to be from God, but it doesn't match what we have always been taught and what we have always believed. And see, what we're teaching today and what we're believing today is, I want to tell you, you can trace it back to what the church has always believed, all the way back to the very beginning, to the 300s, when uh, the Council of Nicaea met and put forth their statements of faith all the way back to the days of the New Testament. So what we're believing and what we're teaching is the same thing. And you've got to be square on that because if you're not, you can get caught up in false teaching. And that's why all of this is so important. Now, let's just go through it. So when he talks about being mature and growing up, he's going to show us the purpose of this. What is the purpose? Are you ready? The purpose. He lays it out right there. He says... For he says that we equip the saints, right? Saints. You want to know biblically what a saint is? It's someone who's set apart. Someone who has been set apart that you belong to Jesus. You either belong to Jesus and you've trusted him as your savior or you haven't. There's only two types of people in the world. Saints and ain'ts, all right? Those who are saints and those who ain't. Only two. No, really in between. So you, got, you have to answer that yourself, whether you belong to him, whether he's your Lord and Savior, or whether he is not. So he said that he's equipped the saints. That's all of those who have been saved. You got that? For what? The work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. For the work of ministry means, guess what? Service. So he's literally saying for the work of service and for the building up of the body of Christ, right there it is. So God gave all these gifts that he's talking about in the previous verses and, and, and others, because there's some mentioned in Romans 12, some in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, but they're not, any of them said to be exhaustive gifts or list of the gifts. And um, some people want to just focus on the sign gifts, you know, of miracles or something like that or tongues or whatever. Uh, but in Corinth, the church, the letter was written because they were abusing pretty much all of it. Um, but God gave these gifts for a specific purpose. And that purpose is this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. He goes on. Are we still looking at this? He says that we are equipped... Equipping, that means, now you may, be, you may be reading in an old translation, it says for the perfecting of the saints. Well, that's what happens when you take a word the way it was used hundreds of years ago and use it today in our vocabulary. It might not fit exactly the same way because the perfecting there doesn't mean that you're perfect. You're not perfect. It, the word literally means to be fully furnished. That part of the work of, of the gifts is to fully furnish the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body. That's what, oh, there's a word there that some people seem to be allergic to. Did you see it? Equip the saints for the woo, 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 woo. For the woo, 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 you can't say it. Work. Work. W-O-R-K. That's like 
the nastiest four-letter word for some people. There's work to be done. Maybe that's where some people have their hang-up right there. That word was mentioned. But it is. We're equipped and fully furnished so that we can do the work he left us to do. It's his work. He wants to do it through us. But we're the ones that are working. Do the work of service, of ministry. Part of the works of service or ministry is to impact the lost world around us. So we'll see how this works. There, there, this, this work is about impacting those around us who are living in darkness, who don't know the Lord. That's part of it. So in building up, now if you're reading an old translation, it might say edify. The word edify means, guess what? To build something. To build up. Um, one time when I was a kid... We had a visiting preacher, and we had built a new building, and he really threw me for a loop. I mean, I was probably around seven or eight years old, but he called the building an edifice. I'm like, get home, Mom, Dad, can somebody show me the edifice? I've never seen one before. Son, he was talking about the building. Edifice means building. Building means edifice. Oh, I got that. I don't know why. I remember that to this day. See, train up a child. No, I say you remember the stuff from your childhood. Uh, but edify is where that word comes from. It means to build up. So building up or edify. You got to get that in your head. That's what that means. So how do we do it? First of all, externally by the lost world outside of us. Uh, so some people are specifically gifted in the body of Christ uh, with sharing the good news. Otherwise known as the what? You can, you can say stuff. Come on. You're not just spectators. Gospel. Right, right. The good news, the gospel. And those people are called, guess what? Good messengers. Oh, another word for that is evangelist. The word evangelist in our language comes right from the Greek. And it's a compound word meaning you. Or, I mean, you is it. Meaning, <laughs> meaning good. Messenger, good messenger, good message, good news, gospel. You're someone who shares the gospel. That's what an evangelist is. Someone who shares the good news. Uh, so they spread the good news about salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, can I just say something here? I'm not really asking for your permission. I just said that. I'm going to say it. <laughs> we turn words into something else. We take that word, the gift evangelist, and even the calling of evangelist, and we turn it into something else. We think it just applies to do the work of, the, of an evangelist, that you're just some dude that goes around preaching revivals. And, and you're, you're loud, right? And you don't say God, you say God. And you don't say Jesus, you say Jesus. I can do all that, I'll tell you. And that they go to various churches and, and there are people that do this and God uses them, right? Sometimes we have people come in, but I'm not sure that always it is evangelist is the proper term. Because we have people come in and, and sometimes people are really gifted in motivating the saints to be revived. Because if you're not saved and you don't know the Lord, there's nothing to revive, right? Uh, and we call them revival. So I don't know how all that got, well, I do know how it all got started if you study history. But that's not the work really of an evangelist. 
Evangelists are those who go to those who aren't Christians, who are not in the body of Christ, and share the good news with them. Now, we need to have revivals. We need to have, whatever we call them, evangelists or preachers or whatever. We need to have them come time to time, and the Lord use them to shake us up, okay? So, don't misunderstand me. But I'm just saying, we have in our minds these stereotypical things that we, we categorize things in. Only they're not biblical, right? Here's the deal. You may be someone, like, like even, even Timothy, remember Timothy? He was someone that God had gifted and called to be a pastor, shepherd, or shepherd teacher, a pastor teacher. But guess what? It doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing. Any of us can do the work of an evangelist because Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 told Timothy, though he was a shepherd teacher, to do the work of an evangelist. What does that mean? It means that every one of us can do that. Every one of us can share the good news with those who don't know it. That's what an evangelist does. And there are some people, whether they're preachers or not, are you still with me? There are some people who have a gift of evangelism. That is, hear me now, they are specially gifted at connecting with people, connecting, relationship, okay, and sharing the gospel with them and helping them to understand it so that they can make a decision. There are some people that are just really gifted at that. It may not be your gift, but guess what? You can still share the good news with people. And you may not feel like you're very good at it, but I'll tell you what. There's been times I have studied hard and prepared, and I thought explained the gospel very well to people. And it just seemed like did not register, didn't get it, didn't understand it. And someone else I hear had talked to them and just did what I thought was a sloppy job. And they understood it and got saved. So what I'm saying is it's not all on us. It's the Holy Spirit that draws people. It's the Holy Spirit that opens people's understanding to the Word of God. But there's two things people need to have in order to be able to come to Christ. And one is the Word of God. They don't get saved without hearing the Word of God. And then the Spirit of God to draw them and open their understanding. Those two things. But somebody needs to tell them. Someone the Holy Spirit wants to use to be that person. And that's the evangelist. And this is what's happening. So part of serving is to build up the body of Christ. How? By adding souls to it. Amen. We're helping people come to Christ. We're helping people realize that there is salvation. There is redemption. There is new life. It doesn't matter what my past has been. He says that when you receive the forgiveness that Jesus has, he marks your sin debt paid in full. And that all of your sins, even though he's God and knows everything, he says he forgets about them. Amen. Separates them as far as the east is from the west. That's a continual line. It's not like a circle. It just keeps getting further apart. <sighs> People need to know that. They need to know that there's what the Bible teaches, a judgment day. That there is a day that we're all going to have to stand. Whether you even believe in God or not, you're going to have to stand before God. You're going to give an account for your life. And if you're in Christ, Paul said in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. My sins were judged at the cross. But if you haven't, there is no other price for redemption. If there is no other, the Bible talks about separation from God. Forever, The Bible does talk about a place we in, in English call hell. That people will be separated. I'm not making this up. That's not my thing. I'm just telling you what this says that you need to know. Everybody needs to be aware of this. 
This is why we need good news. It, it is partly because our lives get messed up and never make sense and no rhyme or reason. But it's also because once you were conceived, you are, and the Bible teaches, you're going to live forever. And only the Bible says one of two places. You're either going to be with God or you're going to be banished from God. Okay? It's a place the Bible describes as outer darkness. Yes, it uses the term lake of fire. It's not good. And, and, and if you go there, you go there because you would rather not him be your Lord. Okay? You would rather be your own Lord, I suppose. People need to know this. I've spent a lot more time talking about evangelism, but suppose maybe I was needing to. Um, so that's one way that the body is built up. And we are equipped to serve by sharing the good news with those. And by the way, if you love people and care about people, you're not just trying to win people over to your way of thinking. We're trying to help save the souls of people who are judgment bound. That's, that's it. If I really believe this, what this book teaches, how can I not care about everyone around me? How can I not be passionate about them knowing this and hearing this okay so part of the way is we share with those who are in darkness we as we say by the way before i move on i got one more thing this is how we change our nation this is how we change our world I see a lot of people who call themselves Christians who almost feel called, and this is the way it's perceived, to impose their biblical worldview on people who don't have that. Impose it on them. This is the way you need to think. This is the way you need to live. This is how you're supposed to believe. It's imposed on them. But I want to tell you, in the New Testament, it doesn't work that way. The way it works is we're called to share Christ and his truth with them by our words and our actions. And then Christ, when they receive him and who he is into their heart, he transforms them and renews their mind as they come to him. And helps them develop and realize the word of God is true. It's the foundation I can build my life on. And that then, then this transform, used by God through the Holy Spirit, transforms their life and their thinking. We can pass laws but you haven't changed anybody's heart. We can so, you know, and, and I think we need to, as citizens, as good citizens, we need to stand up for truth and what is right. And, and if you're going to gripe, you better be voting. Okay, if you're not going to get out and vote, don't, you don't need to say anything. Okay, I do believe that. But the thing about it is you can change all the laws and you haven't really changed anything. A while back, we were picking up trash, right, up the ditch. And you would not believe how much litter gets thrown out there. There ought to be a law against that. And, 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 and beer cans and whiskey bottles. I mean, I'm talking about the hard stuff. Now, the thing about that is different than drinking soda because you become intoxicated. You're not able to efficiently operate a motor vehicle. Am I right? Yeah. But at the same time, you think that you're invincible can do anything. Your mind is tricked. And I see a lot of those thrown out. Evidently, people are either leaving town or they're coming into town and they just think it's cool to just get rid of it right here. There ought to be a law against that. 
What? There is. Yeah. Yeah. There is a law against it. But it's still happening. There was a time that there was a certain type of bottle I kept finding out there. And I thought, man, somebody, I'm finding a couple of these a week. Man, they are knocking it down and coming to town. <laughs> I got to watch out for this. But all of a sudden it stopped. This is several years back. And so I thought, either this person has finally drank themselves to death and died or moved or else the Lord has helped them not be dependent on it and something's changed. You know? I still don't know who it was or what it was. What happened? So what I'm saying is you can change the laws you haven't changed anybody's heart. But when someone gets transformed by the Lord, that's when things change. Watch this. Too often, I think American Christians try to apply a political solution to what is actually spiritual problems. You're not going to solve it with politics. You're going to solve it with sharing the good news. And seeing people's lives transformed. And people learn even how to love their enemies. And do good to those who do bad to them. Instead of all this retaliate, all this stuff we see going on. Yeah, people need Jesus. They need the real Jesus. All right, another part of this involves not just externally adding people to the body of Christ, but also internally as we are built up into maturity, as we learn to be more obedient, we, need, we learn to be more fruitful in our Christian life. And that's a part of this as well. Now, are you watching this? Because we're going to wrap this up as quick as we can, I promise. We're to help each other grow. So within the body of Christ, you And I help each other grow. Never intended for me to do it all on my own. You ever remember some of those old Carol Burnett episodes where like, and one of them, Tim Conway, you know, like his, his arm was like doing its own thing, you know, and he'd be trying to do something. Or, or the time that um, uh, like he was the, 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 the dentist or the, you know, he was going to give a shot to Harvey Corman and he accidentally stuck his own arm. And then it was like, you know, and <laughs> I just crack up every time I see that. In the body of Christ, if you're lame, okay, you're causing the whole body to suffer, Okay. Every part is important and we all depend on each other. And we're all involved in helping each other grow because we're part of a body. Don't say just me and Jesus got our own thing going. You know what? That could, I could, you could sing a song about that, couldn't you? Me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. That is not biblical. Man. We're part of his family. His body. So you and Jesus don't have your own thing going. If you got something going on with Jesus, it involves the rest of us too. There's just no way around that. So this is particularly the job of the pastor to help do this, to help equip for this. But it's something that does involve all of us. So really the job of the pastor is to help equip all of us to do this, to help build one another up, to help do the work of serving one another and then those who are on the outside so that we can share the good news with them. 
And the reason why you and I have spiritual gifts at all isn't just so you can just feel some mystical, supernatural power of God, even though there are times we are overwhelmed, not just by his power, but like we sang, Audra, his love. You just feel overwhelmed. Just, just like, I don't even know what to do. But it doesn't stop there. The whole reason why we have the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives us, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. i just let him tell you. Whoops, I went too fast. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. He said, but the manifestation of the Spirit, that is how the Holy Spirit is revealed in our lives, is given to each one. Did you hear that? Each one. No one's excluded. Each one. Why? It's given to each one for the profit of all. So anything the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in my life, he's wanting to do so it can impact those around me. It's not just for me. It's so that I can be used to be a part of this growing up that we all need to have happen. This is it. We're all built up and are able then to carry out the function that he has for us in whatever part of the body we're occupying. So that verse 16 makes sense now where he says each part is working properly. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up and love in love. Love is the atmosphere. All right, let's wrap this up. Now, that's the purpose, the goal. The goal is maturity. The building up of the redeemed involves two ultimate objectives. He identifies them as the unity of the faith and the, not just that, but the knowledge of the Son of God. Uh, The unity of the faith, when he talks about that, when he talks about the unity of the faith, the faith, that refers to that, the content of the gospel in its most complete form. It's, it's what we believe. It's what we put our trust in. It's, it's, it's the teaching of scripture. And you know what? The church in Corinth illustrates clearly that when there's disunity and we don't understand the right things and we don't believe the right things, it's always going to cause disunity. And we're not going to be able to serve each other. We end up serving ourselves. Oneness and fellowship is impossible unless it's built on the foundation of what is commonly believed. The commonly believed truth. That's what Paul told the Corinthians. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he said, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, discernment. It's talking about being part of a body, isn't he? And so it's, we need to understand, we need to grow in that, in the unity of the faith, and that involves a knowledge of the Son of God. Now, Paul's not just talking about knowledge of salvation, like, do you know Jesus? That is, have you know who Jesus is and what he did for you, and have you been saved? It's talking about, the word there is epinosis, which means full knowledge. And it's talking about a relationship, a deep, intimate relationship. It's exactly what that last song we sang talked about. That's what this is, the knowledge of the Son of God. You know him in that love relationship. And I love the way it described. I thought of John the Baptist that night, the Last Supper, where he was leaning back on Jesus' chest. You just want that closeness, that relationship. That's what this is talking about. In John chapter 10, when Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. He wasn't just saying he knows your name and your identity. He's saying, I know you. That deep, that deep, intimate relationship 
that the creator wants to have with his creation. And so there's the goal that we have unity of faith and knowledge of Christ and also Christ likeness that results in us being like him spiritual maturity okay and that's what Paul said in Romans 8:29 he said this is the purpose this is a goal it says that God knows all things and for whom he foreknew he also predestined what did he predestine those that he foreknew that would come to him what did he predestine that would happen to us that we would be there's the answer conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That we're going to be like our older brother. Because he's our Lord. He's our Savior. But he came down. And he's not ashamed, the Bible says, to call us his brethren or sisters. Just that's the way they said it back then. Okay, you understand what we're saying? That this is God's goal. That we be conformed to the image of his son. That we be Christ-like. That we manifest the character qualities that were illustrated in the life of Jesus Christ. We'd be like him. You don't need to be like me. Need to be like Jesus. But I hope that we can all live that if we try to imitate each other, that we're all trying to imitate Jesus. Paul said something about that. Then the result is what he talks about here, stability. That's why he said that when this happens, it will, verse 14, no longer be children tossed about and to and fro like waves, like a boat out on the ocean, carried about by every wind of doctrine. That is, everything that's taught. Doctrine means teaching. Then he says, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, I've kind of got that laid out there. Human cunning or trickery, as it's translated in some, is translating the Greek word cubia, which literally means a cube. And it is referring to something that they had in their day, little cubes that they rolled, dice. And that people would have loaded dice and they would trick others into gambling with them. But they had loaded dice and they would take advantage of you. He said, that's what people are doing with false teaching. It sounds right. You think you can trust them, but it's loaded against the truth. And then craftiness, he says. Uh, and that's a word that uh, uh, is also uh, the original term is similar and it carries the idea of someone manipulating you and making error look like it's truth. And then deceitful schemes. Um, that's the Greek word methodia. It's his methods. And he also uses that in chapter 6 verse 11. That we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So no doubt it's reference. It's, it's a reference to a planned, subtle, systematized attack on God's truth. So Paul's point is that if you get rooted and grounded in the teaching and are equipped... And you're connected. If I get off track a little bit, somebody's going, hey, 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 I don't sound right. And I can stay on track. We have unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And then I won't be getting off on the wrong track. Amen? I won't be getting off on the wrong track that neither the cunning or trickery of people nor the deceitful scheming of the devil will be able to mislead you down the wrong road. It's important. All right. Truth and love. He says, but here's what we do. We speak the truth in love. Now, it's important you speak the truth, but are you speaking it in love? Are you? Speak the truth in love. All this comes from Christ, it says, verse 16. It all comes from him. And, and we speak the truth. They say, it's been said that truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. That love has been said to be this body of Christ. Love is the circulatory system of the body. It all works in love. His love flows over to where we're loving each other with his love. 
And then he says it again that when this happens, the whole body is joined together by everything that's supplied by each one so that it says the body grows so that it builds itself up how? In love. Love. That one of the things is the unity and the love is a mark of maturity. So if you're not strong and know what you believe and why, you're going to be gotten off track easy. If you're not strong in the body, then you're not going to have the opportunity for God to use others to help build you up. And then you're not being used to help. Is there anybody that you're helping build up and encourage in any way? I mean, there's all kinds of gifts that's mentioned in the Bible. Some of it's just by showing acts of mercy and grace to people. And the neat thing about it is when you show mercy and grace, it kind of indicates that whoever you're doing it to doesn't deserve it. You know, kind of like we don't deserve his grace and his mercy. That's what makes it grace and mercy. Forgiveness is always given to those who don't deserve it. Just like you and I didn't deserve his forgiveness. See all the parallels there? So love is what makes this work. That, without love, we don't grow. Without love, the body isn't functioning. And this is the atmosphere that he's called us to. And, and, and as I think about it, I still got some growing to do. How about you? And as a local body of believers, God help us to keep growing up and adding more souls to his body and also by building and equipping each other as we're involved with him and in each other's life. Pray with me. Heavenly